Good morning, church family. Let's stand together. Let's worship our Lord. Hosanna. Praise is rising.
start the service, singing Hosanna. How awesome is that? Well, good morning, church family. Visitors, welcome to First Baptist, where we do life together. It's so good to see you this morning. If you're visiting with us, please fill out one of these blue cards. This was in your worship folder. And uh, we would love to visit you and, and get to know you better. So fill that out and turn it in to the uh, ushers at the end of the service. Also, if you've got a prayer request, please put that on this form and turn that in as well. We'd love to pray for you. Um, also this morning in your bulletin, everyone got a Making Way uh, commitment card. Hopefully, if you've been a part of our services over the last several months, you know about this card and you're ready to turn it in. We're going to turn these in at the very end of the message during the invitation time. So don't turn it in during the offertory in the offering plate. Hang on to it. We'll do it all together as our unified commitment to God for what for making way. So with that, let's pray and continue our worship service. Lord, we love you. We come to you in celebration, celebration of who you are, what you've done. Thank you for the peace that you give us, the joy you give us, the vision that you've given us for this church. Father, and in all your name, we follow all of that, Father, for it's not our glory, but yours. We just continue to lift you up and sing Hosanna in our hearts, sing Hosanna with our lives as we move forward. Father, we love you. Speak to us this morning. Continue to teach us and bring us up and mold us into your vision, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's such an honor to begin another worship service this week with baptism, celebrating new life in Christ. And we're excited this morning that Riley Mizell has come, making a profession of faith, and to be baptized today. Riley, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you, my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. One of the most exciting things is to see children coming to faith in Christ. And part of what we're doing through Making Way is making way for the generations to come, especially our children and youth. I'd like for you to turn your attention to the screens as they share a little bit about what they're doing to help us in Making Way. been here ever since I was born, so have my parents. Um, this church, this Children's Suite, has made a difference in me because it, it just shows me how much God truly loves and cares for us and that He's willing to help um, improve this church. My papa brings me up here to church and I like it because I love Him. I learned that God is very important and about the Bible. We get to learn about God, and we get to do different activities. Our project is to um, learn about generosity, and now we're making pillowcases to put food in for, like, a little bag. <laughs> we're making pillowcases um, for the homeless, and we're giving them to them so they can have food and stuff to eat. Uh, colored a pillowcase for people that don't have stuff. We're doing little banks that'll go to them, too, with money in them. We have to raise money and put money in the banks for Main Street Mission, where they can buy more food for the people that come close. And 
Main Street Mission can reach more people for Jesus. Well, we let go of the balloons because Jesus died for our sins, and um, I want him to live, live in my heart. To me, making way means providing for the church and helping it grow and prosper by giving all I can and all I have. And I would like to give back to the church for the ways they have blessed me and my family and this youth group. Making way means using my time and abilities to further God's kingdom. I'm making way by taking the $10 that the church family has given us and uh, I will be selling cookies and brownies at our school to make the money to give back to our church. I am making way by being a witness to my friends and the other people in my community. I'm making way by selling religious cards at my school and church to my family and friends. To me, making way means sharing God's love with my friends and family outside of church. Making way means everyone has a part, and I'm making way by trusting God with my time and money. God's moving in their lives. Let's stand this morning, declare how great our God is.
So I gaze on you in the, in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Is that how you feel this morning? joyful lips. You satisfy our desires. He is a God above all gods. Let's sing this morning. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Sing with me. Glory to God. Glory to
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings of life, for always being there for us, for your protection, your love, for your plan of salvation in the many good things of life. Father, at this time we pause to return a portion of what you've given us. Use these gifts in your kingdom's work. Bless both the gift and the giver. In all things, we ask you for your blessings and love. Forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Most people come to church because they're invited by someone. Most of you probably came the first time because a friend told you or maybe a neighbor told you or a family member invited you. We also send people out on visitation inviting people to come and be a part of the church family and telling people in our neighborhoods about the church, inviting people. And whatever that relationship, most people come to church because they're invited by someone. We invite people to come because we like our church and we're proud of our church and we want people to experience what's happening at our church. But unfortunately, sometimes people will talk to me about their church and they'll say things like, I'm just afraid to invite anyone for fear of what they might encounter. Uh, maybe they're concerned that that something might be said or done in worship that would be embarrassing. Or maybe when the choir sings, it's apparent that they haven't rehearsed. But after the special, the pastor is going to always say, and all God's people said, and half the congregation wants to shout back, we can do better. When someone says that, I just hate to invite someone to my church, I I often think three things. One, yikes. Two, I don't blame you, especially when they tell me about it. And then three, I pray none of us ever have to say that here. The pursuit of excellence in all things was a major reason that we developed our master plan and organized the projects in phase one as we did. We focused on front doors of the church as we were making way for excellence. We focused on this room, the sanctuary. We focused on preschool, children, and youth spaces. We looked at accessibility throughout the campus. We looked at landscaping, curb appeal, and restrooms. And a lot of those things may seem like aesthetics, but they are things that are important for pursuing Excellence. And we need to pursue excellence in all things so our members can be proud of the church that God has given us and that we will want to invite people here to experience the same things we experience. And when those people show up, that they can be pleased with what they find here as well. We all know that the number one plan for evangelism must be go and tell. We're to go into all the world And preach the gospel and make disciples of all people. We are to be salt and light out there beyond these walls. But there is a lot of evangelism that is also come and see. In fact, it's one of the most non-threatening methods for reaching people. And since most people first come to church because they're invited, and statistics tell us that most people, if invited, will come then we should invite people to come to our church saying, come and see. We invite them because we know we meet God here and we want them to meet God here as well. Now, there's biblical basis for this idea of come and see. Just think about the New Testament for a moment. Consider how many people came to know Jesus by someone else saying, come and see. The Gospel of John especially walks us through some encounters like that. Andrew went to his brother Peter saying, we found the Messiah. And then Andrew brought Peter to see Jesus. Philip told his friend Nathaniel that he had found the Messiah. And Nathaniel doubted, but Philip just said, 
Come and see. It's the story of the, the Samaritan woman who met with Jesus there at that well. And Jesus talked to her and told her everything she had done. And the Samaritan woman goes back to town and she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And many people did come and many people did come to faith because of her invitation to come and see. And let's not forget all of the people who were brought to Jesus for healing and just to hear his teaching. We need to be able to tell people, come and see and know that when they come, they will see Jesus. Now, a fair question might be, how do people see Jesus through excellence? I mean, how do people see Jesus through excellence in the the church or in your facilities or in your ministries? What do excellent facilities and ministries have to do with Jesus anyway? Well, simply this. Pursuing excellence in a church is about eliminating distractions so people can see Jesus. When everything is done with excellence, distractions are eliminated or minimized. The experience of worship is enhanced and people can meet with Jesus. As we go through phase one of our master plan, we're making way for excellence. We're making a a lot of improvements in this phase. And there are numerous improvements in later phases. And all of it is about pursuing excellence. Now, I want us to think about this concept of excellence this morning in our text to guide us through this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. And in this passage, Paul is giving instructions for Christian households. He's talked to wives, husbands, children, fathers. Now he's addressing servants or slaves or workers. And he is giving them some specific instructions about pursuing excellence in everything. And look at verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I think the last statement there is important and foundational. And so we're going to kind of go backwards through this text. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Serving That truth underlines our pursuit of excellence because it reminds us that excellence is consistent with the character of God. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We serve a mighty God who deserves all of us and the best of us. Why is that? Well, first, because God himself is excellent. Don't forget that his name is described as excellent in Scripture. In Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God himself is excellent. But not only is God excellent, God himself does excellent things. The prophet Isaiah, thinking about the things God had done, said in Isaiah 12, verse 5, Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. Things Salvation is excellent. All of the things God does are excellent. An excellent God should cause us to want to pursue excellence in everything that has to do with him. Don't you agree? That, and, and so since we're serving the Lord, we should work as for the Lord. Paul says it is the Lord Christ you're working, but he says whatever you do, work at it with All your heart. We are working for the Lord. And so that reminds us that excellence brings glory to the Lord. 
last week we looked at the dedication of the temple and, and all the things that a house of worship is. And when Solomon was making preparations to build that temple, he pursued absolute excellence. Second Chronicles chapter 2 shows us that Solomon gathered 70,000 men just to go out and bring in the finest building materials available. He brought in then another 80,000 uh, stonecutters who could go into the hills of Jerusalem and find stones with which to build the temple of Jerusalem. And then he sent requests for help from other kings that would help him get the best of the best of the best materials available. And the best craftsmen available. Now, what was Solomon's reason for pursuing excellence in Second Chronicles 2, 5? He says this, the temple I'm going to build will be great because our God is greater than all other gods. He pursued excellence in the building because he knew that God was excellent and that this building would bring glory to God. Solomon's whole purpose was to bring glory to God. The best deserves the best. The best of earth would indicate that God was the best in heaven and it would point people to him. For Solomon, the most excellent God was worthy of his most excellent efforts. And as Solomon continued his work with that temple, he knew, no, that the the excellence of God could never be contained or mimicked or even shown in something man's hands had built. I mean, anything we do falls short of the glory of God. He even says, who then am I to build a temple for God except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? But that didn't stop Solomon from giving God his very best. Solomon continued in the next verses, writing to the king of Hiram, saying, I I need the best of things. I need the best of resources. I need the best of materials. I need the best of men. And it was all because the temple I build must be large and magnificent it wasn't just to be large to be large sake it wasn't to be fancy so solomon could put his name on it and build up his ego it was to be large and magnificent because god is large and magnificent and deserve the absolute best solomon pursued excellence for an excellent god because excellence brings glory to god now contrast that with what the people of god were doing several hundred years later in the prophet malachi's day Malachi rebukes the people for offering junk to God instead of excellence. He says in Malachi 1.8 this, When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty You see, the people were preparing their offering, saying, "Ah, any old thing will do. Let's save the good lamb for us and give God this crippled one. We don't need him anyway. And so they were giving God the leftovers. We might ask, as Hillary Clinton did, what difference does it make? Well, a big difference. It makes a big difference because God had demanded absolute perfection. Spotless lamb. First fruits of the offerings, not second best, not leftovers, but first and best. When I was a child and there would be a canned food drive at my school, I'd tell mom and dad about it. They'd say, "Okay, we'll go in the kitchen, go to the pantry and and pick out 
two canned goods that you'll take to school tomorrow. And so I would go in the kitchen and, and I would open the pantry and I'd scan the, the things there and I would pass up the corn and the green beans and, you know, back then the spaghettios and raviolis and no, Chef Boyardee's and, and I would look for the beets. Because canned beets are nasty. And I didn't want them to be served at the house. And so I'd get the beets out. Then I'd look a little more and if there would happen to be a can of sardines, that was the next thing that I, that I picked out. And, and so every year I would bring beets and sardines to these canned food drives. Because I didn't like beets and sardines and I wasn't going to use them. Now that wasn't an offering, but it was an offering. And it, was, it wasn't my best, it was what I didn't want. And so I would bring those beets and sardines every year. And after a few years, it finally struck me, what makes you think those kids at the children's home want those beets and sardines any more than you do? And I could, I just imagined there being on the shelf at some children's home somewhere, five or six cans of beets and five or six cans of sardines saying, what kid keeps sending these things? (laughs) You know, I often... We offer God our beets and our sardines. We give him what we don't want or the leftovers or the stuff we bought that we will never use. But an excellent God deserves our excellence because excellence brings honor to God. Good enough is not good enough. We should never give the beets and sardines of our lives to God. We should give him the very, very best. One of the greatest churches in America is Prestonwood Baptist in Dallas, Texas. And one of their mottos is excellence in all things and all things to the glory of God. And if you drive up to the Prestonwood campus, you'll go, yeah, they got this excellence thing down pat. Now, we don't all have the budget that Prestonwood has, nor the number of people to achieve the things they do. But every church should have that kind of attitude. Excellence in all things, all things to the glory of of God. But certainly another truth is revealed in Colossians 3:23 and that is whatever you do work at it with all your heart. And that reminds us that excellence requires work. Excellence doesn't just happen. The choir did a good job on their special this morning. They didn't just show up this morning and Chris say, "Hey, here's the music we're singing today." And get up here and do that. No, they rehearsed. The instrumentalist and the praise team rehearse every Sunday morning. Often the instrumentalists also rehearse Wednesday nights. There's rehearsals that go forward. It takes work. It took a great deal of work for Solomon to assemble all of those materials and workers for the temple. It took work for the people of Israel to bring their best lambs and produce. Because excellence requires work. We're to work at whatever we do. With all of our heart. Numerous texts throughout the scriptures emphasize this. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And then Solomon goes on to say, For in the grave where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. So basically, work hard while you can, because eventually you won't be able to. But work to bring glory to God. Paul tells us we're to excel at everything, even giving. And all of that excelling requires work in 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. 
Even Jesus' statement of the greatest commandment has the idea of working hard at pursuing excellence. How else do you love God with everything you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, unless you are pursuing that and you are working at that? Excellence requires work. In the church, that means music is rehearsed and sermons are prepared. It means Sunday school lessons are studied, publications are proofread, restrooms are clean, greeters are ready, child care is provided. All that is work, but it is all an effort at excellence. You do whatever it takes to do the very best. Now, will mistakes be made? Sure. But they should be the exception rather than the rule. I've had a great fear this morning that there's going to be some word on the PowerPoint misspelled. And then I'm going to get all these emails and say, I thought we were talking about excellence this morning. (laughs) Hopefully not. Will mistakes be made? Sure. But they should be the exception rather than the rule. All of that work at excellence is pursued to eliminate distractions that prevent people from encountering God in worship. It's hard to focus on God when you're not real sure that your kids are being taken care of back in the nursery. Would you agree? It's, it's hard to focus on God when the preacher obviously didn't put much thought into his message. It's, it's hard to focus on God if the soloist sings how great thou art, at least you, at least you think that's what they sing because they forgot half the words. Excellence requires work. I appreciate the hard work our people do in putting together everything we do. Not a week goes by that I don't see staff members and volunteers pursuing Excellence, from proofreading printed pieces to double-checking details to calling in repairs to even saying, hey, if you need help with that, let me know and I'll come help that. We pursue excellence because it's important. Now, yes, mistakes are made, but they're the exception rather than the rule. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Excellence requires work. Our next truth is implied rather than stated, but it is this. Excellence inspires. Now, I said that here in these verses, Paul is addressing these servants, these Christian workers. And if a Christian worker pursues excellence in everything he does for his boss, then that boss is going to be inspired by watching that worker who seeks to do all things with excellence. Likewise, the other people who work with that person are going to be inspired to do greater things because they see that excellence happening. I'm reminded of the story of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah was called to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem following the return of the exiles. And when the wall was completed in just 52 days, in the face of opposition, in the face of trials, Nehemiah records a powerful testimony in Nehemiah 6.16 saying this, When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Because the people pursued excellence and completed the task, their enemies were deflated and their God was exalted. And that inspired the people. Not just the enemies who realized that God was a true God, but it inspired the people of Jerusalem as well to press on. Because the book of Nehemiah doesn't end there in chapter 6 with the wall being constructed, even though the construction of the wall is a major plot line. The story continues all the way for to the end of chapter 13. 
We might say, why does the story continue? Because a story of rebuilding became a story of renewal and revival. The people were inspired by the excellence that happened among them. The things a church does should inspire others. Unfortunately, over the years, non-Christians have, have somewhat come to expect shoddy work from the church. Maybe it's the bathrobe dress shepherds in Christmas plays or last year's poster that's still on the bulletin board or the 1970s home interior leftovers that are decorating classrooms. I'm not sure, but it says we give God our leftovers instead of we give God the best. There's no place for anything less than excellence among God's people. Bob Russell, who served for years at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and saw it grow from a hundred or so people to several thousand people, said this, mediocrity breeds indifference, but quality attracts. People want to be a part of a church that's pursuing God and conducting ministry with excellence. I got to see this church be excellent this week. As this church ministered to the Bill family, it was a look at excellence. From the way you cared, from the way you met with them, to the way the service was conducted, everything was excellent. Even to the way that you ministered to me during the week and prayed for me. It was all excellent. People want to be a part of that. In fact, after attending Chris's funeral on Thursday, a former member wrote me. And they were reflecting it back on where the church was eight years ago, saying that in describing the church as capsized, as a ship that had been capsized. But now they wrote, the church is upright, the sails billowing in the wind. What a beautiful sight to see. It sounds to me like that person is inspired by what God is doing. And I hope that their words inspire you as they did me, because the work of God in a church inspires. In the years to come, we want to invite more and more people to come see what's happening here. We want them to come and see so that they'll come and meet Jesus, and then they'll go out and they'll tell others about Jesus and ask others to come and see what they've done. But to do that, we must pursue excellence. And for three years now, we've been working on plans for transforming our campus into a more excellent center for ministry. Over the last decade or so, there was a lot of maintenance that was not taken care of. A lot of things were kicked down the road, and now we've got to deal with them in a major way. You've been hearing about those improvements for several weeks, and we now come to the point today where we commit ourselves to seeing this vision through. You've heard in the print publications and in the videos that the total cost of phase one of our master plan is $3,860,000. That's a big number. Our goal for making way this campaign that we're in is $2 million of that $3.86 million. The remainder will be financed and paid through our budget and also as we invite other people to come along with us in the years to come. I don't expect it to take a long time to pay this off. I think we're going to commit, we're going to give, and we're going to be amazed at how God provides. 
Back in March, we met with staff and deacons and Sunday school leaders and, and other leaders to kind of cast the vision, talk about making way, help them to know what was going on so that, that they could make some invis- initial commitments. Fifty-seven of our family units uh, turned in our commitment cards early, and I include myself in that, uh, so that we might get a, a way of seeing of, of saying to the rest of the church, we're in this, we're committed, we're wanting to see what God can do. And I'm pleased to announce that these 57 family units have committed $635,700 to making way. Just 57 families have committed $635,700 to making way. That is 32% of our goal. Go ahead and show that, Fred, up on the screen. Now, if 57 families can do that, I look back, we have close to 200 families that I would guess tithe. That means there's two-thirds of the people still left to commit and give, and that's exciting. But I have some further good news to share. Total pledges already turned in and upfront gifts total this, $752,722. Hello. <laughs> I was pretty impressed when I got that word because our goal is two million and 57 families have already committed seven hundred and fifty two thousand dollars or six hundred thirty five thousand dollars. We've already had commitments and gifts of seven hundred and fifty two. We're so far on our way And that should inspire us all to commit to give faithfully as we have the opportunity to do now. We want to give with excellence so that we can pursue excellence. We don't want to give God our deep beets and sardines. We want to give Him the best. If you have a commitment card with you, I want you to take it out and hold it in your hand for just a moment. For many of us, this is a faith commitment. Perhaps you're like our family. We know where about 80% of our pledge will or could come from. Then there's about 20% of it we're just kind of totally walking on faith, praying that over the next three years, God will provide so we can give. We all need to ask God to guide us as we make these commitments. Because we're going to need God to provide for us so that we can provide for His kingdom. We're going to need him to help us be good stewards so that we can fulfill our commitments. And we're going to need him really to look over the project and make sure that the project can be done for the total amount needed. Because you never know what you're going to run into with remodeling. So we need to ask God to to move among us today and to speak to our hearts. So I want us to pray. And then after I've finished praying, we have two large boxes here. That you can put your commitment cards in. They're locked so that everything will be kept confidential until our our financial secretary records all of the the commitments. But I'm going to pray. And after I I pray, Tanya's going to start playing on the piano. And you come and just make your commitments to the Lord as families. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning at a very significant day in the life of our church. God, you're already making a way for us to accomplish the vision that you've given us by these people who've helped set the pace. And God, I pray that all of us will come together 
that all of us will find a way to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, today we just commit. We just simply say, with God's help, we're going to give such and such to making way. And Lord, we pray that you will help. Because, Lord, the only way that we can fulfill these commitments is with your guidance. We have no idea where we're going to be in three years. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But you do. And so, Lord, we pray for your guidance as we give. We pray for your provision as we give. We pray for your hand of protection on the the entire project, that it will be able to be accomplished uh, for the budget that's given We pray that you provide for our church budget that's going to be paying for additional parts of this campaign. And we pray for other people who will join us in the years to come, who will come to be a part of our church and who will help to accomplish the tasks that we're building right now. God, on this significant day, we pledge ourselves to you and thank you for your faithfulness so far. And we're giving our excellence to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.